I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If you've never heard this show before, well, good news. It's based on a really simple concept. We've all had teachers in our lives who shaped who we are, people who inspired us. And every educator we have on this show, whether teacher, coach, or counselor, professor, is nominated by our listeners. So does anybody come to your mind when we say that? If so, shoot us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu and nominate them to be on the podcast. Also, I've got some really special news to share with everybody, which is that the Teacher's Lounge podcast is headed to the radio as well. Every month, along with the podcast that you normally get, there is going to be an hour-long Teacher's Lounge show on WNIJ Public Radio. That's 89.5 FM if you're not familiar. So it's going to condense a couple of the interviews that we have on that month. We're going to have some new segments that are unique to the radio show and some other stories that we're going to be able to bring you. It's going to be really cool. And you can hear the first of the hour-long Teacher's Lounge radio show coming October 29th. That's a Friday. You can hear it at 11 a.m. on WNIJ. You can hear it on WNIJ.org or on our free mobile app. I would highly encourage you. If you're a fan of the show, please check it out. And as always, the podcast is still going to be here every other week. Okay, so today we have a conversation with Brian Turnbaugh on the podcast. He's been an English teacher at West Chicago High School for 20 years, where He's also now the host of the school's podcast, We Go Places, where he interviews former students who have gone on to do really cool stuff after graduation. But before we get to that conversation, I do have another story I want to share for you. And, you know, maybe it's not the most exciting thing for some of you, but it's definitely one of the most important things, which is education funding. Four years ago, Illinois completely overhauled the way the state funds K-12 education, and I got to talk with some folks about how much it's actually changed for the schools that need that money and that support the most. Illinois used to have the most unfair education funding in the nation. That was according to a 2015 study from the Education Trust, a nonprofit that advocates for students. It found low-income schools received significantly less aid than they would in other states. In DeKalb, 60% of students are designated as low income, which is much higher than the state average of 48.5%. Cindy Carpenter is the DeKalb School District's Director of Business and Finance, and she says the old system wasn't equitable, and even worse, the state didn't put much money into it. Each year they would be like, well, you know, we just don't have enough money to fund it. We're going to say, well, you should get $20 million, but, you know, we can only give you 85% of that. Carmen Ayala was the superintendent of the North Berwyn School District and served on a state coalition pushing the legislator to create a new funding model. Now she's the state superintendent. She says Illinois used to wait well into the summer to pay districts, which made it really hard to plan. You know, a lot of districts make their staffing decisions January, February, March. We used to have to have this big unknown and really couldn't add staff. In 2017, the state enacted the evidence-based funding formula. It looks at dozens of factors like the number of English language learners and special education teachers to come up with an adequacy target of how much the state believes a school should spend. Schools the furthest from their target are prioritized to receive the most state funding. Ayala says the new formula helped her district get new technology as well as reading and bilingual specialists. Carpenter agrees it's made staffing easier, which helps when staffing makes up the vast majority of a school budget. The districts that don't have nearly enough local tax revenue coming in, like DeKalb, are known as Tier 1. 
Cindy Carpenter says they could feel the difference right away in the first year of evidence-based funding. We received an additional $2.8 million because of that Tier 1 status. Ayala says the goal was to get every school district up to at least 90% adequacy in a decade. But like the old way, the formula needs money to work. We're not there yet. And so we still have about eight out of 10 students are still in districts that have not reached the 90% adequacy. In order to get to that target, we need to invest about $900 million in that extra tier money. Illinois lawmakers promised to increase education spending by $350 million a year. The pandemic threw many wrenches into many well-laid plans, and education wasn't immune. In 2020, education spending wasn't cut like some feared, but held flat. With a new formula, it doesn't mean there aren't still inequities. Because local tax dollars still reign supreme in education funding, some districts in the same county are light years apart in funding. Just in Ogle County alone, one district is at 68% of adequacy, while another soars over 120%. Low-income, black, and English learning students still see the largest funding gaps. That doesn't mean progress isn't being made. When the funding formula started, Illinois had over 150 school districts below 60% of their adequacy target. Today, there are just 16. Most Illinois students go to a school like DeKalb that's between 60 and 70%. Cindy Carpenter says DeKalb is in a much better place financially because of evidence-based funding, especially the hold harmless provision, which means they'll never get less money than they received the year before. The district's fund balance is about $50 million now, which gives them the flexibility to hire more teachers, decrease class sizes, and even offer abatements to try and bring down local tax bills. I think it's a great model. The thing we're always very concerned about, are they going to continue to fund it so we can all get to that 100% adequacy mark? Five years after helping it pass, current Illinois Superintendent Carmen Ayala is also now the head of a state review panel assessing the overall impact of evidence-based funding. The group will be providing a report to the state legislator next year. Now for a quick news roundup of some stories you might have missed over the past few weeks. Last fall, only 15% of classes at Northern Illinois University were in person. This fall, that number's completely flipped with most students back on campus taking classes. And I got to report on what campus COVID cases look like now compared to last year. After Labor Day 2020, NIU had to go completely online because of the number of positive COVID cases. So far this year, the school has avoided that even with nearly five times the people on campus. NIU Chief of Staff to the President Matt Streb says the difference is simply vaccinations. 85% of students are fully vaccinated. We probably get two dozen students who, who upload their vaccine cards just about every day. We're at about 92% of our faculty and staff on campus who are vaccinated. Over 1,000 NIU students were granted personal vaccine exemptions this summer, but now, due to FDA full authorization, they must receive a shot before November 1st. 400 NIU students were granted a religious exemption and 51 due to medical reasons. All unvaccinated students participate in weekly surveillance testing, and positivity rates are under 1%. The university is also planning to further expand wastewater surveillance testing so they can monitor COVID spikes at individual dorms. Also, new youth COVID cases in Illinois, people 22 and younger, were the highest since January last month, but have declined since then. And the state vaccination rate for youth is now over 50%. Of course, that doesn't count kids under 12 years old who aren't authorized yet, although that could be coming soon, maybe in the next coming weeks.
Okay, now it's time for my conversation with English teacher and We Go Places host, Brian Turnbaugh. We just launched our official podcast newsletter. Very exciting, yeah. right? And I, I just was scrolling through it and I saw at the bottom of it, we just put in like a, a random poll for fun that people can respond to, right? And the poll was, do you ever like to, you know, incorporate or, or work some memes into your, in, in your lesson plan? And during my research, I saw that you, you are the curator of a, a meme hall of fame in your class. Is this still yeah. something that exists? Well, you know, that's when, so to kind of come back to that, uh, there, there was one meme that captured my interest many, many years ago. And it was, you know, this is probably like a combination of liking memes and then loving like dad jokes where it was this gentleman who was clearly dressed like he was uh, uh, like a, uh, from like a London kind of service worker. And he's standing in front of uh, like what seems to be a can like something that crushes cans for recycling yeah. and it said this is my job it's so depressing so soda pressing so it's like this oh, yeah, bad that, pun for that oh my gosh and that has that just became the first meme that i printed out in color put in my in my um in my room and then it just kind of expanded ever since then so before we started kind of moving around in construction at our school at west chicago we had um, I had I had room 184 where and I I mean it was I don't want to say it was almost wall to wall memes but it was getting pretty close you know I had the silly ones inspirational Star Wars I think I was getting categorized them or you just yeah I mean it was all every everyone every part of the room was getting its own identity of a type of meme so have you been able to remake the wall yeah so so with that you know part of the reason why I I don't have my own room just now mm -hmm. yet because uh part of this new so it's kind of an intersecting thing um, the uh, part of my job now is I teach three sections of English, but then for, for two sections, I actually have time off to work on things like this podcast, uh, which is the We Go Places. And then uh, I also then have to, of, um, uh, and then work on some uh, thing called the narrative project with um, my colleague, Dave Jennings. And so uh, with that, that was, uh, so as a result of having fewer classes, I, I have to, I travel uh, throughout the day. So I have yet to uh, put my, to reestablish the meme wall just yet. Right, you need like a roving, like a, a meme carrier or something, a meme cart, right? Now, so what I did though, during last year, I to maintain the meme, uh, I maintain I, the I, meme. I like it. I like it. I, I maintain the, the meme in every uh, daily agenda. There was, I would have two things. I would have like the daily agenda of what we're doing in class, a meme, and then uh, like some music that just kind of felt like the vibe of the day. And then I would always have something that was really ridiculous. And sometimes students would click on it or not. It would say, don't click on this. And then it was, it always take them to something ridiculous, you know, that was, uh, uh, it was probably more amusing for me than anything. So I'm yeah, sure yeah. you could, you could see over the last, you know, however many years you've been doing the meme thing, you can just like see the evolution of memes throughout, you know, through the internet and through social media. 
Yeah, I don't know how I, I could take this. There was one student, uh, she was looking at my the memes and she's like, those are old memes. I'm like, what? Because it's just the style of the block of the font. Was enough to like kind of like, I'm like, you're not wrong, you know, but that one's still funny to me. So yeah. There's, there's a whole level of like 2012, like that era of memes that like no longer exists anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and that's kind of the, there is something very, um, it, 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 there's an interesting inquiry and heuristic of trying to figure out like you if you're away from the internet for a day and then you come back to it and you're like what is happening right so like imagine you somehow were out of out of uh out of the country or and not paying attention and all of a sudden the suez uh memes of the cargo ship and like what's even happening there and, and how iterative you know those memes came from now it's just it's it's a fascinating examination of culture and information and communication all intersecting at the same time i love it it's great. right like every news cycle has its own meme cycle yeah oh yeah for <laughs> sure it, it's 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 great it's a it's a fascinating you know uh, examination of, of how we relate in these mediated spaces uh, and uh, and just, you know, just trying to kind of unpack the mystery of how uh, each one gets sillier, but then has its own language as well uh, to kind of infer what's going on. It's, it's, it's great. Right. And even yeah. like how they change throughout the different platforms, because you think about those old memes, right? They were built for places like Facebook. And now that's probably yeah. not where or MS Paint, you know, something that's really like, that's where it came from. And now, yeah, yeah they're really optimized for, for, uh, for so many different platforms, as you said, for sure. That's fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned, we've mentioned your podcast a couple of times. So I feel like it would be remiss not to dive into that more since, you know, you are also an esteemed podcast host. <laughs> well, I know about esteemed, but thank you very much. Yeah, I, those are my, yeah, my words. So, yeah. so to kind of like, you know, dial it back it, for years, um, I had been listening to podcasts and I, I wasn't like really sure that I wanted to, um, to host one, but it kind of felt like, um, I wanted to, to experiment with it in, to some extent. So I thought, you know, but I didn't want to initially try it and then kind of step on the toes of any anything that's going on in our journalism program. So I kind of like, I, I, I played around with a few ideas and then kind of came back from that. But what happened was that, you know, every once in a while I'd hear of a student that would come back and just stop in and say hi. And there was one particular student, she was actually the first student that I interviewed she came back and she was, this is right before she had she had off to, to med school. She, I think she went to St. Xavier's uh, in the city. And then she just did all this cool work as an undergrad. She was volunteering to, uh, to tutor students that are in juvenile hall in, in the city and some of these programs she in prisoners. She went to, uh, she did all these like really cool service trips where she would go to help out uh, in some type of uh, medical capacity in South America. And then she was heading off to go to uh, the Ohio State uh, to go her, her medical uh, program. And it's like, wow, that's a really kind of cool story. Like, wh why? why don't more people know about this? Like, and it kind of, it, and so I, I thought about it and then there would be another student that would do something really cool. I was like, oh, I should probably do something about this. So, but I never did, right? Cause it's always, it's always hard to kind of get unstuck and try something that you've never done before. And you know, I, every, 
every year I'm like, yeah, I should really get around to it. And I already had like paid for the domain, you know, for uh, using Podbean. So it was like every year I'd like maybe have one episode and like, hey, you just got charged X amount of money. I'm like, okay, I'll get around and, and do something right. about it. Yeah, and it wasn't until... that speaking of like bad puns, right? Like we yeah. go places. You had yeah. to oh, that yeah. one, right? Come on. Yeah. I mean, that, how could I, it's, it's right there. How do you, um, and so there's, a, there's a reason why that name even came about too. So um, what happened was uh, I was in a grad school program through um, uh, University of, of Rhode Island, they have this amazing program called the, uh, it's the, their digital literacy uh, program. They have a conference where you can go to uh, Providence for a week during the summer. And then you do these two courses to get a, a certificate in digital literacy. And one of my projects in this, this one particular class was uh, to, to kind of you know, play around with a, a digital composition of something that you do. I was like, okay, what should I do here? And I didn't know what my idea was, kind of in the back of my mind thinking I should probably do that. And then my buddy, his, who I used to teach with at West Chicago, Ross Collin, his wife is a, um, is a, um, uh, a, a, uh, a doctor of, of psychiatry. And she's, she's like, oh, this is kind of cool. I got interviewed by uh, my old alma mater and uh, they were just talking about things that we do. You should kind of check this out. I was like, whoa, they scooped me. That was my idea. And someone did it. And so I was so like out of that professional kind of good jealousy. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, that's all I need to know to do. Someone who was already kind of doing that. I had that idea for a while. I'm like, there's no excuse anymore. You know, link it up, do what I always knew I should have been doing anyway. And then, um, and, you know, and then started off as a, a means with this uh, grad school project to get that done. And so I, I started lining up um, some students that I, I knew that I wanted to talk to. Jessica Munoz was one of the first, uh, and she has since um, graduated from med school at uh, University of uh, Ohio State, and she is now doing her internship at Loma Linda, and she was their first episode, and I think I've interviewed upwards of 80 students since uh, this started, so I, I try to get one or two interviews a week, and uh, it's just been fantastic. I learn so much. I get inspired I, I, and, uh, and really kind of learn, uh, again, so much about what uh, these students are doing, but more importantly, it becomes kind of uh, an extension of what our community has been able to really uh, support, which is these students had a place at West Chicago High School, and uh, we allowed a space for them to, to kind of at least plant the seed, start growing, and I think that's been really so great to come back, hear their stories, but then use that as a way to show faculty, students, past students in the community that they've actually done some really good work at our school. So it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, like the thing I like about it is that and I feel the same way with my podcast is that it's something that the concept is super easy to understand. Right. And especially yeah. for you as a teacher, it makes total sense to be like, you already want to cultivate an atmosphere and make sure that like the people in your classes know, like the people that walk these halls before you went on to do really cool things. And so can you. And a lot of times you could say that, but then you have a, a very like literal manifestation of that where you can be like, and here's also 80 of them that we talked to if you need examples. Yeah, and, and, and part of that's really fun because I, I'm working with my juniors right now and you know we're doing a, a kind of a persuasion unit where we're looking at how colleges kind of use their recruitment materials and we think, all right, well, what do they know about you as a potential 
uh, incoming freshmen. And so, you know, they think, well, they know that you want to have uh, an academic and intellectual uh, uh, curiosity to be satisfied. They know that you're going to have a lot of social needs that are going to be taken care of. And maybe obviously financials are going to be important. So we were looking at those materials. And then as I'm having this conversation, we start thinking about, well, what are your dreams? What do you want to do? And then sometimes they'll tell me like, I think I want to go into this. And then I'm like, Aha, I have a I have a student that you might want to listen to that interview. So I'll shoot them like, here, you're I, here's Rahul. He went to Georgia Tech and that's the school you want to go to. Why don't you listen to this interview with him? Or th these are the students that uh, have gone into the medical or, or whatever it happens to be. I can just immediately just kind of in that moment, get them right when they're interested and they can hear and start seeing and believing that like that that person was just like me. And now maybe I can do that as well. So uh, I, that's a. Uh, that's really important to see. And I, I think it's, um, that's been really beneficial. Have you had people and students that are especially just interested in podcasting that want to learn more about it, even just like talking to you about it? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that there's one student. So the next kind of iteration of what I'm doing with this is that I'm going to start interviewing current students that are just kind of killing it, right? Where they're, they're, you know, not to use the kind of cringy term there as, as the kids would use, but you know, um, I want to start, you know, who, where are the students that are really contributing either in a civic capacity uh, and or just are interested in their own right. And the first interview uh, with I had with a student is one who started her own uh, literary podcast. And so that was kind of cool. So I, was gonna say, I, because I just interviewed that last week. In 2021, like we should start a podcast is officially the we should start a band, right, for this yeah. for our generation. I don't know. I, I keep on thinking, like, what is it about this format, at least for me, that I find so absolutely engaging? And, you know, I, I keep on thinking about, like, tracking it back to, like, caveman, cavewoman brain. And, you know, we're wired for stories, right? And we, whenever someone starts telling you something, we get locked in. We start imagining ourselves. We're mirroring their experience as, as they do it, uh, or as they're telling us the story. So I, I kind of use that kind of approach to like, all right, well, tell me how you got to where you are right now. So you left West Chicago, what were the steps involved? And, and so I try to use that kind of narrative approach. Um, but there is something about the format about the podcast that is really kind of how we were initially wired. We listen to stories more than we ever watched them as a species, if you think about it. So I think that's why we are more uh, locked in when we start hearing it. And uh, it just, it's a, it's a cool thing. Did it feel natural for you using some of the skills of the classroom into hosting? It's a good question. I think, uh, I don't know, you know, part of it was I just started, I just like, okay, I know I want to ask these questions. I have kind of like a set list that I, I send to everyone and I say, hey, this is just, just so you know, this is what it's going to be. And then before, if I think of anything else, I, because that, you know, it's, it's not a gotcha interview. I'm, we're ultimately trying to show off yep. what you've done. Well, I keep on thinking more about like, if I, if I was getting interviewed, what would I want to do to kind of get them to, to think about, um, like, if it's a question about a very nuanced thing about a way in which their brain works when they're solving a problem as a lawyer or as a, uh, as a doctor, you know, they have different skill sets and perspectives. So I, I usually want to prime them for that type of question so they can think about it before I actually ask them that. So it's, it's those type of things where I want to kind of like at least kind of make it the series of softballs before they, I pitch it to them. Yeah, you want to set them up for it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I saw that 
you had been featured in the Daily Herald like five years ago or, or something, something, something oh, yeah. to that extent. And I, I was reading some of the quotes from the questions they were asking you. And I, one of the things that you mentioned is that like teaching is something that's pretty consuming for, I think that you, one of the exact quotes is like, I don't stop thinking about teaching. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, is that something that over the last couple of years, have you, have you found a way to stop or is that something that you find yourself still at this point, just completely <laughs> delved into at all hours of the day? Uh, let's see. Uh, I would say um, it, this is a conversation I have with uh, my colleague, Mr. Caltagirone, and uh, we've been teaching. We started the same year. And what we said was that the way uh, we rationalize that uh, particular um, is that we've perfectly merged our professional interests with our intellectual, right? So the, the Venn diagram is a circle uh, with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's fun. I like it. To me, it it's it, everything feels like a puzzle right where like okay how if i and i'm not saying i knock it out of the park every day you know with my students but i always try to like reverse engineer like okay if i were to get them to um you know a little bit further along with this how do i set up the various different tasks to make that happen so do i have the right material that will be initially engaging have i made the series of tasks one that are not so overwhelming and so i, I try to like it, it feels like a it's like a rubik's cube or a puzzle and you keep on figuring out the different ways to monkey with the algorithm of the rubik's cube to kind of make that kind of all come out at one end so um so it's it, it probably sounded more harsh when it came out in that that uh, that interview than it was where I'm just like obsessing about it. But it, it's just kind of a it's a puzzle that feels very satisfying that I, I think about when I try to design a, a unit or a, a series of, of activities uh, with the students. Well, it was on my mind, too, because I think for the last especially the last year and a half or so since the pandemic, we've been having so many conversations about, you know, burnout of teachers yeah. and, you know, people. I think uh, we've quoted it a couple of times. I think there was a, a poll or a survey from last winter from, I think it was the Illinois Education Association that said like, you know, 33% of teachers are thinking about leaving the profession, you know, because of all the stress and anxiety and everything else going along with it. But it makes sense to me, especially teaching what you teach, right? With, with English and media and thinking about all those, I could very much see how you, you fit into it. You're, you know, watching a TV show or you're, you know, reading some, Philip K. Dick, and you can't help but like think about, yeah. okay, how can I, you know, not even just like, can I use this? Can I show this to the class? But, you know, how can I take some of the things I'm learning here and how can I, that make me better at a certain thing, right? Yeah, you know, and as as much as it's probably a, a curse, uh, my wife always reminds me, like, you know, you shouldn't uh, be on Twitter so much because I could be, you know, doing other things. You, you and know, all of us, you and everybody else too. Yeah, yeah no, it's exactly. Fine. We're all there. If you, if you, if you follow the right people, sometimes you the, the serendipity of having a good content that will then latch to the skill that you're going after can work quite nicely. If, and you just have to be aware of that. So a good example of this happened last week where I knew that I, I wanted to start modeling um, uh, the, the difference between inductive and deductive reasoning with my, my AP students. And, um, and so what happened was I, I, you know, I just, I knew I just, I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And then Twitter delivers, you know, this, uh, this, you know, horrific TikTok trend, which is called the devious licks. You've probably heard about yes, this. Yes, actually, I'm really glad that we're having this conversation yeah. on the podcast because I've been meaning to talk to somebody in education about it. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, and I, I, so I'm like, this seems like we could do something with inductive reasoning, which is, all right, we start with the, the, the issue, which is this pattern or not, sorry, not the pattern. So it's like this observation, here's this thing, devious licks, uh, where for those who don't know what's going on here that are listening, this is a TikTok trend where students are openly um, destroying, defacing, or stealing school property and posting about it on TikTok. It's and it's like, there's they're stealing like uh, soap dispensers. Yeah, not cameras. ideal during a pandemic, right? Really, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're and so that's the incident. So then the next question is, all right. So if you kind of climb up the ladder of inductive of reasoning, so then the next thing, all right. Well, are there patterns of this? Well, yeah. Then the pattern is the milk crate challenge or Tide Pod or all these things. So, are, so then what's the similarity of all of those different uh, things? These are. Um, uh, events by which people are using uh, social media to garner or acquire some type of social currency, and that social currency comes at the cost of maybe their own personal health, but maybe collectively financial or maybe even criminal or if not uh, uh, actual collective communal health if we're talking about taking um, soap out of the bathrooms uh, of the everyone. Cloud, so, right? the and then cloud, we can arrive so at a theory on, on social media. Yeah, right. So you can kind of climb all the way up the ladder of inductive reasoning. So you get to a theory about why that is. And so th that's what's kind of so to, you know, that's how I can kind of rationalize, you know, always trying to, um, I always say rationalize, but kind of think that, you know, there are always various different high interest things that are very close to the student interest. And as soon as I started talking about it, you know, the students, their eyes start rolling like, oh my goodness, yes, let's talk about this. I can't believe it. Um, but then you're still modeling the type of skill set that you're targeting anyway that day. And that's really like, you know, it comes down to it as an English teacher. I mean, it is about communication. It's about sharpening your thinking, writing, and, and ultimately reading. So if you can kind of hit the triangle on any given day, you're doing all right. I'm assuming that your class is, is pretty predominantly, or at least at times, conversation and discussion based. Yeah. How did you find kind of the dynamics of that shifting during the pandemic when maybe you had some people that were, maybe everyone was remote or you did the juggling half and half. How did that affect the actual atmosphere of trying to have those discussions? Yeah, super tricky. I don't know that I could even say that I, I got that part down, but it was something where you had to you had to kind of figure out and trust, keep your fingers crossed that you had a task that was um, attainable when you would set them into a breakout room. Hopefully it was a breakout room of people that they could feel comfortable working with and then come back and report out uh, with it and then kind of, you know, cobble together um, some type of meeting uh, with that. And, you know, our school was uh, a little bit different. Some schools, they would, they would go, if uh, I want to say Batavia High School, I know that they would go 90 minute blocks and they would be remote like the whole time. That's, that's a challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, to kind of do that for the teacher and probably for the students. And I don't know how much uh, leverage they had to kind of mix it up uh, in terms of delivering an instruction. Uh, we were given a lot of uh, freedom to try to explore what's best for our students. And so we had uh, 35 minutes per day to meet with our students. And if we felt that there's a task that they needed more time to, uh, to complete, we could say, all right, 
here's the assignment on Tuesday, come back and Thursday, Thursday, take Wednesday to work on it during that 35 minute block. Right. So we were uh, given a little bit more autonomy to kind of figure it out. And that really made a lot of difference that we had that trust from our administrators to do that. And uh, that made it a lot more um, safe to take risks, calculated risks. Uh, and uh, it made it made it easier. <laughs> I'll say that. it made it didn't solve the problem. It, it made it, it possible, easier. right? Exactly. Palatable for sure. But yeah, yeah. It, it, on a scale of one to 10, how normal and, you know, business as usual, does it kind of feel on a day to day basis? I don't know. I think I've, I've kind of fallen back into the rhythm of it being, yeah. um, you know, back, back to, to everything um, being normal. Uh, I, I'm a little bit more mindful of thinking about the student time outside of school. So I've been trying to make sure that um, I'm lining up you know, what's being asked of them. And we're doing a little bit more work in class and evaluating um, and doing some quality control there uh, to that extent. So um, so that's been a little bit different on my end about how I'm being more mindful about how time is being asked of them outside of school. Um, and so, but I, I, in terms of like, you know, the, the energy and, and all that, I, I feel like that is uh, at least on, on the end of what I'm seeing with my classroom, it seems like we're almost there. Almost yeah. there. Yeah, almost we could, there. We could do without a couple, you know, sinks being stolen, but outside of that, right? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, that headache, no doubt. Well, yeah, and it's it's funny. I feel like for, especially like last spring, I feel like we were, people were starting to have conversations about like, you know, what are some of the silver linings? What are some of the things that we can reflect back on what this time has been like and what, what can we take with us? And I know that's tricky because like, the pandemic is still happening, right? So yeah. find, all of a sudden you see a lot of schools where there's, you know, more cases and quarantines and things happening this year. So it, it is kind of tricky probably to, you know, look back and reflect when so much is still not the same, right? So much of it is still not right. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't, I don't, I wish I could give credit where I heard this expression, but it's been one that is like, yeah, that's kind of how I, I, I intuited how my approach of, of teaching, but like hearing this and it was um, super simple expression. I, again, if I could find out who said it, I'll send it to you somewhere down the, you know, the Twitter like, you know, uh, uh, yeah. train of all that, but it, 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 it's Maslow before Bloom. And I love that idea, which is that it, applying that to the lived experience of students in your classroom, which is if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel connected, uh, then you're not going to get to the deeper thinking of anything else. I mean, it's it's just it seems so obvious when you say it uh, that way. It's like, well, of course, that's how it should be. But like when you have that type of psychological framing uh, of that, it just really makes so much sense. And uh, and that that then becomes like if there's any kind of like mantra in my mind every day, it's like Maslow before Bloom. Like, you know, it does. Have I have I tried to like make a student feel seen every I don't get to every student every day, but I, I try to uh, have at least something where I give them an attention where I, I I'm showing that I, I know something about them and I and I care uh, and then that that pays for itself uh, down the line where um, you know I don't have a, so many issues with um, uh, uh, you know discipline or anything like that because uh, I I think that's something that I, I've really kind of fostered in my classroom for for a few years. Yeah, and I mean, my next question was, it's pretty much along those same lines. In fact, we probably just answered it throughout the course of the last couple of minutes, but I am curious, just like, do you feel like you've learned a lot about yourself as a teacher, you know, having to go through these last 
couple of years. Yeah, you know, you do. And, you know, part of it was there was a there was a spot there in, I want to say, December of last year. And it was it, I think it was actually right after Thanksgiving. We're like, you know what? It's going to get tricky. We think that there might be some increased counts of exposure for COVID. So if you guys want to stay home, you know, we're, we're, we're okay with that. So, um, so a lot of teachers for this, for their safety, you know, chose like, you know what, I'm just, it'll be easier for me just to stay home. And there's a, a few of us that kept on going into school. And um, we, we kind of felt like we were on one of those deep space missions, right? Where like, we have to like, we're, you know, we're the only ones in the husk of this, you know, deep you were space. In, you were in gravity with Sandra Bullock. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, the, you know, the, I'm trying to remember the name of the, uh, the spaceship from Alien, you know, and we're, yeah. we're in there. And, um, and part of what that really had a sense of, you know, for, for everyone, like, I think we appreciated each other where there's a camaraderie that was felt. Um, I, in fact, I was just interviewing us. I, I was just editing a, an interview with a student I did yesterday who was a teacher at West Chicago, or sorry, at Lehman. And, and she was just talking about how everyone, if you were on a team, how they looked out for each other. And that sense of solidarity, I mean, that's, that's special, you know, and, and if you can have that in your school and amongst your team, um, that was something that really leavened, you know, my, uh, my feelings about last year, as tough as it was, it was really nice having those people around you to kind of, um, to push you and support you. And that was, that was great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'll tell you from my own experience where I've been working from home for the last, you know, the better half of the last, I guess, 18 months now at this point, which yeah. is kind of a horrifying thing to say out yeah. loud. But you kind of, you know, you get into, you, you get into whatever groove you need to get into, right? Like, this is how work's done. I'm going to get it done this way. And at some point, you almost forget what life was like before. And, you yeah. know, for me, it took, you know, going back into the studio for a couple times. And there was, you know, in the summer, uh, you know, just a couple months ago, we had some, you know, outdoor, uh, a couple outdoor events, and you're able just to like sit with your colleagues and talk shop, talk about journalism, talk about the day-to-day -day stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah. I forgot what I was missing. I had no idea. I had completely brought it out of my mind because I didn't need it. And I was focused on so many other things. But at that point, I was like, oh, no, I think I just realized you know, the things that we were missing over the last 18 months. Yeah, no, it, it's it's true. And and uh, and it, it's nice that it's I think we're approaching that. Um, just knock on, any, fingers knock, on any knock on all the wood that, that ever was right? around you. Yeah, I don't care if it's <laughs> laminated, whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I love it. And, and you mentioned that you've been there for 20 years now. Yeah. So, so you've been you've been a teacher for 20 plus years at this point. I'm always curious to ask people like because I think that our, our go to thought is that technology and everything has moved at such a bafflingly rapid pace, especially I don't even say in the last 10 years, but I would say like in the last five years, like I remember in the early 20. Do we say 2010s? Is that what we decided? The 2010s? <laughs> yeah. In the early 2010s, when I was in high school, right, I, I remember like they were still lugging around carts full of like 30 yeah. pound laptops, right, that you could easily kill someone with. And, and, and now I, I can't imagine that those are still around. I, things have moved so fast from just, you know, one to one smart boards, you know, AR, VR, all sorts of cool stuff. So I think that we first in our mind go, oh, things are dramatically different than they were 20 years ago. But for you, looking back at when you started to now, do you feel like in general teaching and education has, does it feel like it's more similar or do you feel like it's more different than people might expect uh, from that long a time? Well, I, I think there's, there's two angles to, to answer that. One is that I think 
uh, you know, when I was a younger teacher, one of the things that you, and this is something I've talked about with my colleague, Mr. Caltadroni, which is that sometimes you feel that it's, um, that content is the most important thing. And certainly content is really, really important. Um, but what's underneath that is that, are you, are you giving them the type of mental models to be able to unpack really difficult questions? So, um, you know, when you're presented with something, uh, are, are, will they be able to communicate it? Will they be able to uh, read through all various different angles of this particular problem? So I think what I've found is that there's been a shift of like content is really important, but using habits of mind and modeling of, of how to work through various critical thinking that seems to be, to me, like the shift. I think the, the one thing that I, I've come across too is that metacognition piece, right? Which is yeah. if, you, if you are learning, but you reflect on your learning, then that's real learning. Then you know where you can go from that. You understand where you've come from and then where you can go. And so I think that's been a really kind of key elements to me reflecting on my own teaching, which is to make sure I'm creating those spaces for the reflection of my students. The other challenge, though, is that because we are saturated with so much content from the outside, I really think the, the next frontier for what we do is in English and uh, in really probably all the disciplines is really is the integrity of the information uh, that we get. So that means finding ways to confront disinformation, kind of the bad faith arguments that are made that, are, that are, we are swimming it with every day, and then be able to kind of then compartmentalize when we come across misinformation uh, as well, that just might be a clumsy chunk of information that we have kind of misinterpreted. Right. I really think that, you know, what, you know, what some people are calling an epistemic crisis, which is our ability to discern what between fact and fiction, and how that's really causing people to walk around with, unfortunately, actionable, um, bad ideas. Uh, that really seems to be, I think, the next frontier of what and challenge, I think, as, as educators moving forward. Yeah, and I think we're, we're seeing that, at least, thankfully, in this state, and this is something we've covered on the show, right, with with different uh, media literacy, uh, both classes being yeah. taught in high schools, but also just integrating media literacy yeah. on, you know, throughout all sorts of subjects through English, through biology, all sorts of things, because it is kind of one of those rare things too, that, you know, people love to complain about how, you know, I'm learning slope intercept form and I'm, I'm never going to use this again, but media literacy is something that not only yeah. is going to be incredibly useful, but you should absolutely bring home because your mother should absolutely also yeah. be learning this stuff Yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And, that, and factually, that, that was actually the, uh, my, my colleague, uh, Dr. Ross Collin from, uh, he, he, we started off the, he was a, a year or two before me at West Chicago. He went off to University of Wisconsin uh, to get his PhD. In our first year, we we had this idea like we should teach a media literacy class, and we didn't have a space to do it. So we thought, can we get an, a couple of students to to take this as a summer school class? And we taught a media literacy class early on, and that that class you know has stuck around for you know my goodness, is it 17 years now? And it was one of my favorite classes uh, to teach. It was a senior seminar. Now it's it's still at school. In fact, uh, Mr. Jennings uh, is teaching it right now and he's doing great work uh, with it in that class. Uh, and uh, I just, it's it's so great that, it, that our school has kind of always had that there. And so, you know, having the resources of 
of myself, Mr. Jennings, and we have some great uh, teachers in the LRC, uh, Ms. Grabowski and Naughton, uh, we're all working at, and, and others were working on our media literacy program there. Uh, it's exciting, but it's really essential work and I was really, really excited to work on it. Yeah, talk about the evolution of memes. You can see in that class the evolution of, of how we talk about media literacy and misinformation over the last 17 years as everything yeah. else has evolved. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's so bizarre because my last year teaching that class, I, I stopped teaching it and I went into teaching AP language. And like that was the year. It's not that Facebook wasn't around, but it was like the last year and, and when the price of a, of a iPhone dropped. So that meant that everyone could, you know, that could afford it was getting one. And that meant that you had Facebook, Instagram, all in your pocket at any given time. And that really changed the dynamic of, of teaching media literacy was just that inclusion of the, the uh, accessibility of these platforms for students and the consequences of that. So that's been really, that's been really interesting uh, to kind of follow up as well. It, it, it's just, been, it's been really different since the last time I taught it. And that's, has everything to do with that, that's uh, technological advancement. Oh, I'm sure. And again, like when I, I didn't have a smartphone until I was 18, which seems like an absurd concept now and stuff like social media and media literacy is something that is almost you know, especially in, you know, huge fields like education, where you're having to pass, you know, these statewide bills to mandate things, it's almost impossible to be ahead of the curve, you can kind of only hope to catch up and, and be along with it. Yeah, I, I think that's in part of it is just really reminding students of, of how the game is played, which is, you know, these are platforms that are monetized for your attention. And the more that you think about how it has created a a context of making it as sticky as possible to make you be on it longer than that, then why? <laughs> How did it keep you there? And that's your, that's your inroads to be able to do that is to just start asking the question, how and why? And that, that becomes a really, a, a very easy uh, approach to understanding the basics of rhetoric, you know, and, and how that works. So it, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that it has to be in the realm of confronting disinformation, but uh, at least it provides the type of, uh, we have the tools to be able to kind of unpack with it. Yeah, and how do we get from there to uh, stealing soap dispensers? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, I, you know, that, that's a whole other, that's a whole other uh, question for sure, yeah. Absolutely, well, I the last question I have for you, and yeah. this, is, this is gonna be, this is a rapid fire out of left field one, this is a question got in from a West Chicago High School alum, which yes. their, their question was just, are you still showing the Alfred Hitchcock movie Rope? I, I would be. I would <laughs> be if, if we had it. I, I have every intention to watch that again. And that's that's my favorite thing to do about uh, about uh, rhetoric, is that it's it, it's not necessarily rhetoric. It's about the technique that any communicator, if it's the filmmaker, especially looking at suspense and how uh, there's a great. YouTube series called Letters from the Screenplay. And he does a whole, it's like 17 minutes long. And he explains the psychology and the applied use of, uh, of suspense. And I love using that. And then we, we, we unpack all these different things. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite uh, weeks of the year is Halloween. We watch these short, uh, scary movies. I think Lights Out was one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so we, and we understand like, okay, well, why are you scared? What are, what are all the physiological constraints that are put on you to make you feel this way? All right, you see how it works and that. So it's kind of fun. It makes you appreciate the craft of the filmmaker that much more. It's, it's great. Yeah, I love it. All right, man. Well, hey, that was all I had for you. So again, thanks so much for taking 
you know, 45 minutes or an hour ago. I, <laughs> I, I don't know how, how does it feel to, as a podcast host now to have the tables turned on you? Cause I know that for was, me, it's, it's, it's always weird for me as a reporter, when other people start asking me questions, I'm like, what is, what are you doing? This is what I do. This is my job. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have, then I'll, I'll, I'll return a, a question out, out of left field question for you then is what, what was the weirdest three songs that you had to take as a request on WONC uh, for, <laughs> for uh when you're you're taking the open request because i love that about wonc is those open lines my favorite was like going from guns and roses patience to screeching weasel uh in in two songs together i love that oh gosh i think it's like it's if and for people that don't know wonc is the student uh yeah student uh, radio station at north central college where i went to and it's it's I, i'll tell you what it's the transition from bad motor scooter to kiss from a rose like that's that that is the exact peak of of the pure rock you know request happy hour yeah it's, it's trying like, uh... to find some way to segue from that and i'll tell you the the one that i because you know you could always for you know you're having an hour's worth of songs and you can maybe have two that you're like i think i can pull this one out and i think i can yeah. put in just a song that i want to play in there and I would always try to figure out a way to put in my favorite. So probably if, if I had to ask, like, what's your favorite song of all time? My favorite is uh, a song by the band called uh, The Format that's called Dog Problems. So I, if, if you ever heard that song on WONC, you know it was me that was DJing. Because you Easter egg in that in there. I Easter egg in that in there whenever <laughs> yeah. I can, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, that's cool. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life who's inspired you to be on this show. It's how we get great guests like Brian. Email us to nominate them at teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing the show, please like us, subscribe, leave us a rating. Anything that you can do, it really does help. Big thank you to the Northern Illinois Band Kind Ups for the music you hear every single episode. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge on this podcast feed very soon. And... We will be back with, oh, well, I guess we'll be there for the first time with our hour-long Teacher's Lounge radio show on October 29th at 11 a.m. on WNIJ Public Radio. Check it out, and we will see you later.